I'm Fathery. This is Dave. And this is Text Trek. Engage. Welcome back aboard the Starship Texas for the 254th installment of the Text Trek podcast, the home of Star Trek fandom from deep in the heart of Texas, where we take a deep look at Star Trek old and new, and tonight we're talking about Star Trek Strange New Worlds Season 2, Episode 10, the season finale, Hegemony, written by showrunner Henry Alonzo Myers and directed by, I've been saying this woman's name since the short treks in 2019, I think, or 2018, but uh, Maya Verville, I probably got it wrong in a new way this time, but uh, hopefully eventually I get it right. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, it's uh, going to be a lot to unpack, uh, a lot, lot of uh, big stuff. Before we get into that, just a, a quick shout out to all of the lovely Text Trek Patreon supporters. Uh, we like to celebrate with them every month. If you're watching this live on Friday, then uh, tomorrow, Saturday, we're doing our monthly watch party, where we're going to be watching uh, two episodes, actually, a uh, Lower Decks episode, uh, Here I'll Trust Nothing, the DS9 crossover one, and then Prodigies, All the World's a Stage, which is the kind of the, the TOS-y one with the Enterprisians cosplaying uh, the questionably screen-accurate TOS uniforms, but, you know, the, the enthusiasm is what, what counts, you know, mm -hmm. uh, but... Yeah, that's going to be a lot of fun. If, if you're listening to the podcast later, you've already missed it, but that's okay. We do one every month uh, on, a, on a Saturday afternoon, uh, depending on where in the world you are. But uh, So big, huge thank you to the people who make our show possible. Starfleet, Sohel, Cake is Eternal, Crazy Dutchie, Joanne Robertson, John Dog, Geek Filter, Earl Grey Trekkie, Quarks Bar, Ben Genium, Stephanie Durantes, Matthew Averett, Braxton, Chuck A., and our anonymous supporters. And uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to that watch party. I think that's going to be a, that's going to be a fun uh, double header. So yeah, that's a nice change up for us. And uh, in in other news, I just recently got back from Star Trek Las Vegas. Well, it's not Star Trek Las Vegas anymore because it's not official. But STLV, which doesn't stand for anything, I guess. But we can probably come up with a fun acronym. Hmm. Our uh, friend uh, Aaron Geekfilter in the in the audience uh, suggested that maybe SNW should stand for Severe Narrative Whiplash, just with the tonal <laughs> shifts we get from episode to episode. <laughs> uh, which uh, which I, I I like. I consider that like a, a strength of of the show. Uh, much yeah, like I think so. Think think so too. But it has been. Notable. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, watch few. watch DS9 season six, which I consider like the best season of Star Trek ever. It's like that's uh that's that's something I'm into at least. Mm -hmm. But uh, but yeah, we we had a lot of fun at the convention. I did some streams from um, I, I did a stream just recapping it with Rachel, who was also there with me. Uh, I did a stream uh, just walking around the convention floor. If people want to get like a secondhand look at the convention <laughs> or if you were there and want to see if uh you you know you're in the background somewhere if you saw me running around with a gimbal uh on friday then you probably are and uh speaking of conventions we are two weeks away from uh, galaxy con here in austin uh gonna be a lot of uh, trek actors i think uh, shatner koenig frakes gates mcfadden will wheaton lavar burton terry farrell armin shimmerman 
Um, might be missing someone, but yeah, that's going to be in a, in two weeks here in Austin. So I will be there. I'm actually going to be running a, a Trek panel. I don't know, don't know what day yet, but, uh, need to get to work on that. But yeah, really looking forward to that. And if people do attend and you see me, please, uh, please say hi. Um, I love, uh, talking to our, our audience in person, like, uh, Francis from San Antonio who came and talked to me and Rachel, uh, in, in Vegas. And you can maybe take some questions in person at a panel. Yeah. Or if you think I suck, you can, you know, tell me in person. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Finally, a chance to heckle fathery in person. How could you resist that? But you'd probably have more fun having like a you know, having like a drink with you and hanging out. <laughs> and um, that's uh, pretty much everything on uh, on the news front. Uh, Lower decks coming. This is our last Strange New Worlds episode to talk about for a while. But that's okay. Yeah, that's we'll, crazy. We still have stuff that we can talk about on Fridays until uh, Lower decks gets here. And it's not going to be that long of a wait. Only only a month. Uh, so September seventh is the premiere, and they're they're going to drop two episodes that week. So. Um, that'll be a, that'll be a, a big, uh, big premiere lots to talk about that week. Uh, we'll actually be doing the live Friday show on September 8th on Star Trek day. Uh, oh, so, wow. uh, which is also the 50th anniversary of the animated series, which is what I'll, uh, talk about in the galaxy con panel. Mm-hmm. So hegemony. I'm going to quickly recap this finale episode by reading the official synopsis and then kind of expand on that with spoilers just to refresh it for everyone. But the official synopsis reads, When the USS Enterprise investigates an attack on a colony at the edge of Federation space, Captain Pike and his crew face the return of a formidable enemy. And if you're familiar with the word hegemony, I've never heard the word hegemony used outside of the Gorn hegemony in Star Trek, I think. Like, it doesn't get said You know, I often. sometimes refer- hear it used in terms of like, imperialist nations and and i i admit i my my understanding of uh, of it in like how it differs from say an empire is is a little vague yeah i don't know the uh the exact definition uh maybe maybe we'll look that up but uh but but yeah it is the gorn the gorn return the gorn uh attack a colony with uh, a bunch of little gorn babies and it's probably because a son is making them go crazy with the the cmes that scotty is talking about that, that sam kirk was talking about and uh, we think Patel might be dead. We think Chapel might be dead, except we know that she's alive because of the original series. But uh, it turns out like they're they're both they're both still alive, except uh, Patel is is pregnant with with Gorn babies. Uh, so that's alarming. Um, but they get her to the Enterprise. They they sedate her. But the uh, rest of the landing party and a lot of the colony survivors are captured by a Gorn ship. Pike is under orders not to attack the Gorn, but they're about to run off with his people. And the big decision of what is he going to do is uh, yet to be seen, yet to be revealed. We have to wait uh, at least 18 months, perhaps longer, uh, my, think, my estimation. He, but Father, you think he's just going to be like, turn it back around. Yeah, let's just go back into Federation space and play it safe. Well, uh, I mean, it might be so. A lot of people find Best of Both Worlds Part 2 a little underwhelming compared to Part 1. So I guess that would kind of be within that tradition. But yeah, I think I think that is what they were going for here with the kind of a best of both worlds type thing, type cliffhanger. And honestly, I can see, you know, we'll, we'll talk about this more when we get to the end, I know, but, you know, Pike doing a little, you know, a little kind of Kirk switcheroo where he's like, he's he, he says they're withdrawing, he, he plays it completely straight with everybody in his crew, uh, or like, that. that's what it seems like, and then he's got, you know, some schemes within that. We'll see. You know? He's not really a schemey he, dude. He's not really the, uh, the, the plot. Uh, I should say not plotter, a scheme, like but, but he's also... He's he's done some stuff before. He 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 outwitted pirates by uh, creating a, uh, a um uh, what do you call it an an insurrection? What do you what do you call the pirate insurrection thing? A mutiny. 
A mutiny, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he created a mutiny. That's a that's a Kirk kind of move. He's not. It's not like he's incapable of it. He's just not known for it. But you know, they also in that episode the uh, what's with the with the Jesus asteroid, you know. Oh yeah, the, the <laughs> episode comet. two. Yeah, yeah. They they he told them that they were complying, and he was secretly running running ops behind their back. Uh, Pike can do that stuff. Um, uh, so yeah, hmm. well, but we'll, we'll see. We'll talk the, more about the that uh, the expression on his face and the just like the 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 long the long shots that kind of linger. Uh, suggested to me that like he he honestly like was was very unsure what to do at least in that moment maybe sure. maybe something maybe an, an idea sparks right after that to be continued card but you cannot go and start a war to <laughs> to save a few people we should each share our opening statement and just kind of share our broad impressions on the episode before we get into the the episode breakdown uh, this is the, the last one we're doing for a while Dave uh, do you do you want to you want to go first or uh, do you want to go last um let's let's go first okay. let's go first i'll, I'll do it so what do you got dave what was your, your broad okay. takeaway here all right so you, you know like i said i've been kind of dreading this episode a bit uh, and you know the idea of Battelle being off kind of for cheap drama or pretend you know like that it might be feel like that and, and and indeed early on i was not really feeling the episode i was pretty worried that all those things were coming to pass but I ended up overall, I'm going to say, actually pretty pleasantly surprised by this one. Um, I, I, I still think that it was kind of had some slightly dopey action movie tropes once or twice. And the kind of level of monstrosity assigned to the Gorn still kind of just doesn't sit well with me. But I feel like they were they have percolating in the backgrounds the means to kind of salvage the Gorn for me. Um, first of all, they, they didn't just straight up kill off Mattel that's up in the air and we even if she exits from the show somehow I have a feeling that they are not going to they wouldn't bring up Hemmer only to repeat it almost exactly um I think I I suspect that she's gonna make it personally they also brought up some possible reasons for you know the the Gorns going into like their swarm mode or whatever, which at least at least suggested that it's not just like they're mean, but rather there is at the very least some strong biological impulse for them to do this. And maybe something like that will end up creating some of the depth. Even Pike was saying he wants to try and find that that thing in him, but it's 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 very hard to spot. Uh, and I think that could be interesting. That's the story of the gore. And it's like, this is trying to find the depth in like xenomorphs and aliens. Uh, so but what did I like about it? Obviously, I, I so I liked that. I like the possibility, at least, that they're bringing out of, of some depth for the Gorn. Love seeing Scotty. Everybody liked that. And how could you how could you not? Um, I liked seeing a big Gorn. I uh, <laughs> I thought their 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 saucer crash thing was a pretty cool action movie thing like sequence. Um, and, um, what, what else? Um, uh, you know, even though this is using tropes, I will say, and some ideas still from aliens once or twice, I'm like, please don't make the motion tracker sound and stuff like that. But (laughs) I felt like somehow it distanced itself from it. This, you know, the, the wild card that was Scotty, the fact that there was also stuff going on a giant space debris field, which felt very Star Trek and not aliensy kind of took it out of the the complete you know the aliens playbook a little bit and and made it feel more star trek to me so so yeah i was having a good time with it i really i kind of liked the episode and 
and until until I see Battelle killed in some hokey way, or until I see them say, "Yep, it looks like the Gorn are monsters after all," <laughs> I I feel like I have reason to hope that uh, that this cliffhanger will have some cool resolution, and so I'm I'm pretty excited. Um, and ready to watch this part two in, you know, the year 2030 or whatever it happens. <laughs> Someday. For me, um, like I was saying, I think this was kind of their attempt at a at a best of both worlds, at least. You know, I, I, I've seen a few episodes this season I, I've pointed out where it's like, oh, I think that they are they are trying to do something in the model of a, of a previous, you know, beloved episode of Trek. But there were some really great moments here. I, the, the music, uh, Nami's score really stood out. The... Uh, effects were top-notch, incredibly cinematic. Um, I thought the directing and editing were very impressive. Uh, it's 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 really amazing when there's characters like Spock and Chapel who I know survived the original series, but in the heat of the moment, I'm I'm panicking. I'm like trying to like calm myself down. Like, oh no 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 no, it's gonna be okay. I know that they're gonna be okay. It's like take it easy, Father. You don't you don't have to get too worked up about this. Um, but I I love that it was still able to you know keep me on the edge of my seat. Uh, but uh, a a good bit of the writing in this episode let me down and. Um, Sadly, it's like I was expecting, but it, it's still not what I want with the Gorn. Um, this is the only episode of season two that I would say I, I dislike. Um, and I, but that being said, I, 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 you know, admit to like disliking it as a whole. There's a lot of stuff in here that I really did enjoy that I want to be sure to highlight. Um, and I do see a possibility similar to, you know, Dave's thoughts of, oh, well, it is possible the second half of the story, when we eventually get it sometime around Zephram Cochran's warp flight in 2063. <laughs> uh, but when we finally do get that, uh, I think it, it might get me on board the Strange New Worlds Gorn, but I also like, I don't expect it to. I don't require it to. It doesn't have to. I I am obviously anticipating season three. I love this show. It is my favorite of the modern era of Star Trek shows. But, you know, I'm more excited for episodes two through ten than I am episode one of season three. Your deal, Fathery, is that you're like, I can allow that there can be here and there spot pockets that I just don't like, but the, the show's overall batting average is so high that I'll just enjoy the stuff I enjoy. Yeah, right? I mean, I, there's, there's, I love Deep Space Nine, but I don't like the Muse when I watch that. When you know, when uh, Jake Sisko is getting uh, molested by the psychic vampire lady, it's like, <laughs> yeah, like I'm, I'm never gonna like that episode, but I still love Deep Space Nine. Um, and yeah. there's stuff in that episode I like, like with uh, Luoxana's B story, but just like there's stuff in this episode that I like. So, uh, but, uh, but yeah, it's just, um, I have some. I guess just uh, reservations about their this interpretation of the Gorn. And like I said, it might go somewhere where I like, but just uh, it, it makes it harder for me. You know how, Dave, you, you bring this up a lot, but kind of like a frustration you get when there's like these big emotional moments, but you're not engaged in the story enough to like really feel those emotions. And you, you talk about like right. getting kind of annoyed with that stuff. I wouldn't say right, like right. I was you annoyed. You feel the, the but, moment just slide by you kind of. But yeah, like there's there were moments like that in here. And I'm like, this is so well executed. And I just wish it was like in a story that I, I cared about a bit more. <laughs> um, but yeah. Uh, there, there, there was a, a lot of things in the script that uh, did rub me the wrong way that I'll point out as well. But there, there's a ton of great work that went into this. And, and uh, you know, overall, as, as much as I dislike the the entire story, it's still not the entire story. There's still a second half. So I'm I'm not settling too hard in any particular opinion. I'm just like currently it's like, well, you know, this is the one I enjoyed the least. It's the first episode since uh, episode nine, the last Gorn episode of Strange New Worlds that mm -hmm. I that I disliked. And even that one had tons of stuff that I enjoyed in it. So what you're saying is if you had on a scale between in front of you right now, this episode uh, or the, uh, the Land of the Lotus Eaters, 
Oh, I would take I would take Land of the Lotus Eaters. I, I mean, I didn't dislike that one. I just thought it was just kind just of check. It was just, just okay. Check. Yeah, no, uh, as like that was actually a fun discussion because it was a kind of a mid episode, but it was still fun to talk about and. I, I kind of ended up liking more than I expected as I kind of reviewed it. Maybe I'll find more to like once we start breaking this episode down. So let's just uh, start off with that that opening. It kind of starts off like this is Star Trek Cayuga. This is like Captain mm-hmm. Battelle on the Cayuga and they're on their mission. You notice there's like weird solar activity. Did, did you get a chance to rewatch this? I know you've you've been pretty busy lately. It's another one of those where I'm going on one viewing. Um, so uh, I, you know, I watched, I did watch the, in this case, the what do you call it, uh, ready room for it. Oh, good. And uh, good, so, good I did, which was mostly a special effects uh, oriented one. And and I, I, I did just a little mm. bit of reading here and there on it. But yeah, it's uh, I'll, I, if I need a reminder here and there, don't hate me. Pe- people should check out the ready room for this week, by the way, because uh, th- those those dudes that make the the Gorn, all that the the the, the Gorn suit and the puppets and all that stuff, those those dudes are, are pretty badass. I thought that was really cool seeing their work up close like that. Yeah, yeah, it was cool to see uh, see them playing around with it and just how much craft it goes into it, and and they actually walk you through a lot of you know like really the precisely how they kind of get from point A to point B. Yeah, I, I would love to see them do do more stuff in Star Trek. Like, I bet they could build a badass Tholian. Imagine like a Tholian yeah, yeah. walking around or something. It's time. Yeah, it's time. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, they're uh, Midwest town model space mm-hmm. colony, which I like that. It was kind of a TOS-y, you know, like that kind of a, we're just going to use whatever yeah. s- sets are, are available. Like, this was from some TV show that shot in Toronto. So it, that that actually got it off on a good foot with me because, uh, you know, obviously yeah, it's definitely evoked TOS's let's use what we've got on the back lot kind of stuff. But they did like, you know, just by with the simple explanation of this was like an aesthetic that was chosen for the colony. And yeah, you're also going to see some like more high tech vehicles driving around it. So, you know, it's it's got a little bit of an upgrade in uh, execution than say how, you know, that might have had to have been done in the 60s where, you know, it's like, well, we just got to use the set as is. They were able to like put in some some kind of nice extras. And there, there's totally going to, if we survive into the future long enough, there's totally going to be people like this that have like nostalgia boners for the 20th century. And they want like that Norman Rockwell Americana vintage type thing. I mean, like think of people now who like, they love to like dress up at as medieval people at Ren fairs and stuff, even though like. Now, bro, it's going to be all 90s style. It's going to be uh, uh, grunge and, and shit like that. They're going to be living in grunge town. And, you know, the Matrix said the 90s were. The uh, the pinnacle of human achievement. Um, so if you read a, uh, right. if you read an early draft of the Matrix script, it actually says that I believe the cycle it, it runs from 1980 until 2010, and then it restarts over, and it just always stays within those 30 the, that 30 year period. Which I I mean I'm jealous of everyone you know I plugged into the Matrix. I just like... Yeah, that's a that's a solid span if you happen to be an American uh, or a person in the world of some decent means. You're you're in a decent period yeah. there, which I guess is is also true about you know 20th century Midwest America. But it's just like you know people like to go to the the Ren Fair, but they're not like you know the Spanish Inquisition. There's like it's like the the friendly modern version of it. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, but yeah, they're given Chapel a ride, which uh, was it's kind of convenient. I, I, I think a lot of like the stuff with Chapel. Uh, but uh, we get uh, Pike on Skype when he when he calls <laughs> Battelle, talk to his girlfriend. 
What, what do you think? Classic of, Pike Skate. I'm, you know how I've, I've said a lot, like how I don't really care that much about Battelle. They've never really fleshed out her character or they, they, they don't do enough with between her and Pike. Uh, th- but this mm-hmm. episode is like the first time. Well, not the first time. I guess I started kind of feeling it with the, uh, the, the scenes in the musical. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, when they're like arguing about like their vacation and stuff. I guess like I needed it to feel like a little bit more real like that. Um, but right. she, she has definitely grown on me in this in this episode. I, I'd still be like, fine with her leaving the show, but. I think you're right, Fathery, that she doesn't have a lot of depth of character, but I liked – when I see them interact together, it actually feels pretty natural. Mm-hmm. So I think maybe what I've been more reacting to is the pre- the way they you know, kind of bounce off of each other. They had, it had a kind of the natural ease of uh, kind of a slightly long-term relationship couple, but who, who are making it work, have mutual respect and all that stuff, and you know, you know, clearly like each other, but like kind of they put the romantic side on the back burner anytime they're – talking in any formal way like as as captains and and so i think that's what i like more than say oh i love battelle i like how battelle interacts with pike it is nice to have a character you can kind of like put pike in his place because you know like his captain he's so used sure. to he kind of has like the final word on on everything so it's, it's nice to see you know someone else you can kind of like push back against them a little bit and and she can call him out yeah, and uh, they they do a really good job on this show, especially in this episode of like Pike is a is a fallible main character, which is always kind of a tricky thing to do, but a, an essential thing to do for for a lot of storytelling. And it, it's he's not too fallible, but it's especially tricky in Star Trek, where you know you have like this Gene Roddenberry vision of like the humanity will be better in the future than they are now. But like part of his, you know, part of his, uh, I mean, one of his issues is like he's not he's not a really good wartime captain, and I, I love that about him. I think that's really cool. And we kind of saw yeah. that in last year's finale, Equality of Mercy, which uh, very much stated that Kirk would have Kirk was the guy they needed in a balance of terror. Pike was not mm-hmm. that dude. Um, and, and yeah. They kind of reminded some of that stuff here, but also like his his issues with you know like commitment and opening up to Patel and like showing some vulnerability and being like, oh yeah, I just called you because I missed you, but you know I was I was I was embarrassed to be like a guy like, oh I miss my girlfriend. Can I please talk to you before I, I have my coffee, get my day started? And and so like him kind of like coming out of his shell a little bit and and uh, when she's like, oh was that so hard to admit that you missed me? I like that stuff. Mm-hmm. And he's holding the That's medallion. A good point that uh. That that sailor medallion that she gave him as a gift. Yeah, he like has that in his hand when he's talking to her. Oh, I hadn't noticed that. That's interesting. Uh, I think you you make a good point, Father. Um, Pike, early on, he's like so naturally likable and charismatic, so good with the crew and everything. He's making them food. That there was almost a little danger of like this guy's too good to be true. Mm. He's a little, you know. What what was it like in fiction? Uh, what they call like a whatever the male equivalent Gary, of Mary Gary Sue Stew, is. which a Gary Stew. A lot of Star yeah. Trek captains come off as at times, like. <laughs> right? And so, yeah, I think it was. It's it's good to show him having his moment where arguably he blows his stack in Lotus Eaters. He has commitment issues and you know these other things so so yeah I'm, I'm, I, I can agree with that and and i like that that's a that is a nice touch that he had the had the amulet i don't know if, if you uh remembered the the shuttle crashing when it shows scotty later in the episode but this is this has to be scotty's shuttle on the run from the gorn ship oh <laughs> goes down at the yeah building. yeah that's that's funny i like as, as, that seems very obvious but <laughs> i i did not put those together um, it's like a stealth first appearance of scotty yeah I mean, he already had a stealth first appearance with his audio. Oh yeah, yeah, it diff- yeah. It, it was a different actor. He could have, um, he could have been like hiding in a crate or something in season one that we don't know about. <laughs> um, unless there's something like that, we know that 
this shuttle uh, is Gattle, and then the Gorn ship. I like, I, I do love kind of like the old like 1950s flying saucer vibes. It's, it has like that vintage sci-fi, which Strange New Worlds likes. You know, the, the show opens with Pike watching the day the Earth stood still on TV. So, oh yeah, that's right. But well, I want to quick jump back to that father. The um, that a that ship. Have, have we seen that specific yeah. weird ass ship? It was the it's the, the destroyer. They have like the, there is the Gorn destroyer is the big one, and then the Gorn hunters are the little one. They were both introduced okay. in Memento Mori. What was what was mainly hunting them in that? Uh... Oh, they started off with some of the little ones, and then they got to deal with the the big one. Okay, it's 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 spooky looking. It uh, it reminded me of of course of uh, Independence Day's reveal. Uh, maybe a little bit of V from back when I was a little little kid. I, I do think – I kind of wish this is – clearly this show, when they are going to sort of homage something, they'll sort of do it overtly. They've done it with Aliens. I think that was a kind of a mm-hmm. nod to to uh, Independence Day. I think they referenced the Buffy musical uh, in their musical episode. Uh, I think they referenced Deep Space Nine in the war episode. And I kind of would like them to stop doing that, um, to, to, to go ahead and, you know, I don't mind them, you know, keying off of some classic uh, tropes and, and stuff like that. But go ahead and I think have the confidence to just make it your own. You don't need to go and say, we know we're, we're borrowing. Kind of you like know, how um, Picard season three kept bringing up stuff from the, the Star Trek movies, like the TOS era movies. Yeah, yeah. It's just a... <laughs> Hey, remember when? Yeah. Uh, remember that thing you like? <laughs> it's back. Yeah, I think because you know, we'll, we'll talk about this more when they get down into the colony and the Gorns are running loose. One of the things, the reason it it didn't bother me so much and make it feel like as, as much like aliens is because it wasn't following the beats that aliens had. Uh, you know, uh, Leon kills one of the little Gorn right off the bat. That's not exactly a thing that happened in aliens. Uh, they never had any, you know, monstrous firefight with them. They were just hiding out from them and trying to maneuver around. And it, like it, just the the all the the sort of the plot beats and stuff started didn't didn't feel particularly like they were from aliens. That they were in a small town taken over by aliens was kind of it. So you know, it, it ultimately was a slightly minor thing for me. That, that, you know, when they refer to their references like that, but I still wish they would do less of it. What about like the dude ringing the bell outside of the barber shop? Did did you like that, or is that kind of dumb? Uh, is that is that a thing that people did in the fifties when an alien would invade? <laughs> it actually makes more sense uh, on rewatch because we know that whatever interference field that they're they're deploying, it's already started because you know Pike and Battelle's call dropped, so uh, yeah, but he yeah, probably doesn't yeah. have like reception to like call folks, so he just sounds the uh, well, the manual. Uh, you know, it, no, I think it's pretty cool, and it does seem like it'd be one of those things where. You know, if they're trying to recreate a 50s type town, like, you know, that that might have been just a, hey, if you, you know, they used to have this tradition, you'd, you'd be like watching to make sure there were no commie jets flying over <laughs> or or that, the yeah, the Ruskies weren't uh, coming over the hills to invade uh, or something like that. And, and you know, uh, yeah, I can see like a town would have a general thing. Oh, there's a fire ring the thing. Anything crazy going on? Ring one of these bells. So, yeah, that that makes sense to me. 
I think at most small towns have a siren instead of a instead of like a manual bell, but maybe the maybe the siren uh the siren broke or something. Or they're just like really vintage here. <laughs> maybe they you know, we know this is probably not an exact uh recreation of the 50s uh, thing like they didn't be like hey let's bring back racism too so i i do actually kind of like the idea that they just blurred some stuff you know they they got some of it wrong they broke it they added a little old westy kind of vibe to it um the show doesn't have that baked into it but it, but i can easily imagine it i like the reaction and kind of the seriousness when they received the message on the Enterprise and it's like garbled, but you hear Battelle just saying things like under attack, Gorn and and Pike instantly like, you know, he he drops all the, the dad jokes and he gets serious, even though I just said he's not like a wartime yeah. captain, but he, you know, he he can handle himself in, the ship in, a, in, yeah, in a scrappy situation. He can he can take things seriously. But, you know, when he's like Ortega's give it all she's got, you know, and, and, and he immediately like goes and has like that meeting with April where, you know, they talk about the Gorn and April talks about. The, and it, it is weird trying to square this away with Arena, where in Arena, like kind of like a whole point of the story is like we don't know what was Gorn territory and what wasn't Gorn territory. Is this this is this the planet from Arena, or is this no? That was Cestus the, three, and this and do is, we uh, do we know? I mean, are they close? I mean, things could have changed, you know, in that time. I'm sure that borders continue to be an issue yeah, with the Gorn. Um, th- this planet's named uh, Pernasus. Beta, but Parnassus, Parnassus yeah. Beta, but we don't know exactly where it is. Um, I don't think there's enough in here to, to tell, but just given what we know about Gorn space, it's kind of like south of the Klingon Empire and a lot of star charts, but okay. I, I'm not too worked up about trying to make all this match up with Arena because Davy Perez has explained like the, the, the explanation the writers are have been thinking about or what they cooked up, but um, and, and we just got to wait and see whatever they do with the Gorn before we, we have all the facts. But basically, the, the way that Davy Perez described it is in Arena, there's a line from Kirk when he's talking about the Gorn, when he's making his log, and he says this something like, this creature that the Metron referred to as a Gorn. Obviously, like, the intent when that was written was like, oh, that's the first time Kirk had ever heard about a Gorn. That's when he learned that word. Davy Perez says the interpretation that they're going with is that they're they're retconning that to mean that Kirk has heard about the Gorn and he's surprised that this thing in a rubber suit, the slow moving thing is a Gorn. He's like, the the, the, mm. the Metron's called this a Gorn. This isn't like the Gorn that, you know, like Pike and Spock told me about. So, yeah, I, you know, I would honestly love I, I talked about early on when, you know, like season one, wanting to see that, well, what if there's strata within the Gorn society mm-hmm. and, you know, and, and, and if it's like, oh, well, you know, the ones that are you know, on the Gorm homeworld are actually relatively benign or not so so aggressive. But when they're out in space, you know, and they get these solar weird solar flares or whatever, they, you know, that's how they expand. And they do, you know, maybe the, the Gorm planet guys turn a blind eye to the hyper-aggression waves of, you know, the, the advanced ships that go out there. So we could still get you know, some version of, yes, the Gorn Society has different different elements. Yeah, and I, I think they will, If and if they don't do it in the show, someone will write a book that explains that, or I'll come up with a headcanon on my own. It, it'll it'll be okay. It'll all come out in the wash eventually. Mm-hmm. Uh, just, uh, it, so I, I don't, I don't want to focus on that too much, because if people are saying, like, this totally, like, overwrites Serena, like, like, no, it doesn't. The, one of the writers has gone on record and said, like, that's that's the approach that they're trying to square it away. And it, it kind of does make sense if you go back and watch Arena. There's also a line in there where, where McCoy says something like, could that be true? Was this Gorn territory all along? And that kind of still works, even if, like, McCoy already knew about the Gorn and knew they were, you know, hostile and stuff. But, um, he's just, you know, like, reevaluating that with, like, new information he's learning from the Metrons. So, um, yeah, I, I've seen, you know, uh, uh, this is kind of comes from my... Uh, 
the dr- dramatic ups and downs in, in superhero comic books that, that have, you know, part of my, my job mm-hmm. t- too. I've seen a clever writer take, you know, be seemingly painted into a corner and figure out a way out of it. I've also seen it not work, of course, <laughs> yes. but uh, it's like, you know, can you make it work? I think there are ways and then, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm rooting for them to find those ways. Uh, how, how do you feel about when, April is the guy who's like, uh, you know, monster is just a word for someone who doesn't understand us. And, and Pike says, well, and sometimes a monster is just a monster. Not loving it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, but can Pike be, you know, worried about his his girlfriend and, and, and you know, be in a somewhat more aggressive mode? Sure. He saw them um, kill Hemmer. The, the, like, they're, they're, people died. People on the Enterprise died in both Memento Mori and All Those Who Wonder. So it's like every time he's faced them, like he's they like they kill his friends. Did they ever I remember us talking about this plot point in certain things, but like have we ever just seen anybody sit down and say like do the you know the kind of the classic that fan discussion of like um it's like, well, you know, they they have built a spacefaring civilization. They they can clearly cooperate with each other and, you know, work in like very elaborate science to do this. You know, d- did they really not, you know, sort of build up some morality while working amongst themselves? I would kind of like to see that conversation happen. Doesn't have to be a full Star Trek Next Generation. We spend the whole episode on it. <laughs> but um, but I would like to see that convo happen because if you just drop in the in the wild, Pike saying maybe they're just monsters, I don't like it. I don't like it. Yeah, no, it, it started uh, it started kind of getting on a bad foot with me there, um, much more so in the ready room scene coming up. But yeah, they, they arrive, they discover that the Cayuga's been destroyed, um, which, you know, kind of, we, I, I did like the mystery here. I, I, I complain about some of the, some of the writing coming up, but right here, it, it was a, a good mystery setup, because like, we arrive in the system, and we don't know if Patel is alive, we don't know what happened on the surface, we don't know what happened on the ship, we don't know where Chapel is, we don't know who right. survived. Right, and they have, and they can't go dry, maneuvering around. Yeah, they're they're stuck behind this line, and that was cool. Like the the Gorn, like they they're you know they're freaking Starfleet out. They've been like massing up all their ships on the border, and you know April is really sweating it. Just like we were talking about how how we were nervous going into this episode. April was nervous going into this episode, <laughs> and they just sent they just sent like a like a JPEG of like here's the solar system, here's a red line through it. It's like the bare minimum amount of communication, but you know the message reads loud and clear. Now, what did uh, remind me? What did the Gorn? You know, on on what uh, authority do they draw draw this line? What do they say that it is Gorn territory, or they, that, they don't? Or, or what? I don't think they say anything. They just like send this picture, and, and they're just like, you know, what, what did well, what did April say? Don't just don't cross the line. Yes, yeah, he's because you know. We, I guess I would have liked for them to have the Gorn to have at least had part as part of the transmission. It's like you are entering, you know, our our territory if you cross. But they don't. Line, they don't so talk so. in the show. Like they don't. They don't have words. It, that... That's right. It's literally just the image. Yes. And they're they're like the Gorn are a little too powerful for, for us to go second guessing and being like, oh, maybe they mean come across the line. Uh, you know, it's like, well, we don't want to start a war with these guys. That's that would be insane. It's a it's a pretty intimidating power move to you know drop yeah. that on someone. And, yeah, I, I guess um, points to the big evil Gorn captain who who did that. And they they draw the line like right outside of the planet, like in between the planet and its moon. And it's like we'll let you come all the way this close, but you don't don't come up. We're this planet is ours. We're gonna be down here doing whatever the hell we want. Don't you dare cross this line. Yeah. Um, but and then immediately Pike goes into the ready room and he says, okay, we're going to cross the line. 
<laughs> and uh, the, the, so when when the episode uh, actually lost me uh, was when Sam Kirk comes in there and starts talking about his uh, his murder boner for killing Gorn and how he he wants to study them with a phaser so he can best figure out how to kill them. And then everyone else is like, oh, yeah, that's awesome. And Benga's like, yeah, I want to help in that study, too. And Lon is like, oh, yeah. none of y'all want to kill them as much as I want to kill them. And it's like, yeah, I don't really want Starfleet people behaving this way. I, I guess... I know people in the 23rd century are a little bit more, like, trigger-happy, you know, like, when they're, yeah. they're, like, Klingons or Romulans or whatever. You know, like, when they're, like, those guys are kind of, like, gung-ho to go after the Horda, because they're like, that, that thing killed my friend, and you know, stuff like that, but mm-hmm. it was, I don't know, it was just, it was too much, it, they just laid it on so thick, and it, yeah, just was not what I want in Star Trek. There's parts of the episode that felt like a Kelvin-verse, you know, scripting for a more action-oriented story. And I know that they have been trying to, really, from season one. They want the audience to to, to go with the in- interpretation of their monsters. I think they're actually maybe even using pointedly using that phrase and stuff in uh, in interviews and stuff, so that yeah. they can then kind of get us, you know, get us thinking about you know otherizing them right. to the point where you're like, we want to see them get like shredded too. And then in in season three, they can go ahead and pull out something that will give them some nuance and depth. And then we'll be like, oh, wow. And I was so caught up in it, too. You know, I'm hoping that's the, the case. I, I think it is. I, I actually think that they had to be. They're so often other times aware of what Starfleet's ethos is. It's weird that they just drop the ball all the time. And they want you to think they're monsters and just kill the monsters. I'm like, come on. There's no way this writing team thinks that. But that's what they're trying to sell to us. And it's I do. You know, I think you're right, Fathery, to be kind of annoyed at it. It's. Stop! Don't try and sell it to us. You know, it's uh, we can we can be like confused as to like how they can be so bestial and yet not think like exterminate. You know, it doesn't. You don't have to try and sell me on exterminate. That's not what Trek does. Yeah, and what you were talking about with uh, I, I believe you're referencing a Akiva Goldsman set on the Ready Room in season one. It was either for the, the premiere because they mentioned the Gorn there with Laon's backstory. You know, they established that in the premiere or, or episode four, the first Gorn episode, Memento Mori. But one of those episodes, Akiva says, you know, in Star Trek, there's no monsters; everything is nuanced, except for the Gorn. They're just pure evil. Um, he says something very similar to that, and yeah, that would have been around the time that they were, you know, getting ready to shoot this episode, I believe. Uh, when they would have recorded that interview last year, because they were shooting season two when season one was being released. So maybe that is true. I've thought about that also. Like, yeah, what if what if he is just trying to, like, you know, get us all thinking that? But there's also a part of me that thinks, like, oh, no, what if Akiva Goldsman actually... And, and I, I'm not even going to say that's, that's necessarily wrong. Like, maybe in Star Trek there should be, like, what, what if there's, like, that one race that you can't... They're, they're just not going to comprehend uh, it, anything we would consider, like, decent or moral or right I mean, or good. It's like, how audiences feel about the xenomorphs, I think. They're fascinating and interesting in the Aliens movies, but we kind of all sort of feel like that you get away from them or you destroy them. You, you know, nobody is watching Aliens saying, like, I wish they were working more to communicate with them. <laughs> we all love when Ripley says nuke them from orbit because they just – they seem so – just like you know, it's Sigourney just like, Weaver it didn't love that. She wanted she wanted Ripley to like have sympathy really? for them, and it can't, James Cameron was like, "No, we're not doing that. You hate these things." Because she's like a big animal person, I guess. Oh, interesting, interesting. Yeah, I think in the end, Cameron was probably right, and because he was also doing, yeah. I know at least a partial Vietnam allegory, and the way you know, you know, we in war authorized the enemy, of course. Uh, that that that's a reflection of that. But yeah, here's the thing: even if he is doing this to kind of 
pull a reveal in the third season. I think that's kind of slightly dirty pool too. Don't don't play at this. Kind of don't don't try and trick the audience. I'm sometimes for surprises. I I, I am I do kind of like that. Um, but I don't think I want him just straight up making up uh, philosophies of Trek that sometimes a monster is just a monster just if they're just for a reveal it's it's kind of disappointing the crate that chief j beams in that has like all of like the the gorn weapons and stuff in it yeah i don't know like does it make more sense that starfleet would like want to train officers on that stuff or does it make more sense that it'd be like you know for captain's eyes only because maybe, maybe they don't want like everyone hearing about like oh like they're like gearing up to like fight the gorn you know maybe they don't want like right sort of a we're going to start moving these out, you know, maybe next year we'll begin training, but we don't want to cause a panic. Yeah. I think that's, it's reasonable. It's, it's a little convenient and just kind of, oh, uh, let's give a cool surprise. They've got anti Gorn gear. Yeah, I can roll with yeah. that. That's fine. I, I thought it was pretty forgivable, but then like right after that, I'm already starting to like question the writing a little bit at this point. And then mm -hmm. right after that, mm -hmm. they have this uh, display that where they're, they're trying to chart a course. How can we sneak to the planet? Without the Gorn detecting us. And then Ortega's, the, the pilot, who, like, you know, would know, like, all the navigational stuff, is looking at what's clearly a debris field from the Cayuga. Like, I, would like, instantly understood that looking at it. And she says, hey, what's all this stuff? And I'm, and I'm like, why does she not know what debris is? Why not have her just say, like, hey, what about this debris field? I know, like, they got to explain it to right. the audience. But, like, you can explain it without making her sound dumb. So that that bugged me, too. Yeah, I guess I guess when you don't know what other, you know, there there could be... You know, a pocket of partially formed planet. There could be a little mini asteroid field or something. I, I guess there might be reasons for it. It, it, it didn't bother me. And sometimes if something is clearly meant to be audience exposition, I, I don't mind it too much as long as... I get what you're saying, but I, I don't think it made her look too bad. It's just exposition. I liked the character moment after that when Pike is like, well, you know we could use you to do this. You know, you've been begging for an, uh, a landing party mission for months. And then she's just kind of like, <laughs> yeah, why was I doing that? I, I like that. It was, a, it was a believable way to get some levity into like this really serious story. And I also kind of like the idea of, you know, whenever it's like, I'm going to do this really dangerous thing against orders and I'm only going to take volunteers. And then Una is like, I think I speak for the entire crew and I say, we're all with you. So I kind of like there being someone who's like, Actually, I I'm really terrified of this. I'm not sure if I wanted to. <laughs> I, I like that, but uh, of of course uh, she does it, and they do the Empire Strikes Back thing. We've kind of all seen a hundred times. Just like float float around in the space junk. Uh, just you blend in with all the rest rest of the trash. I'm glad that they didn't feel the urge to say some line that was an homage to Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, instead they point out zombie movies. That's a little weird. That's actually not. I mean, like when I think of zombie movie tropes, I don't actually very often think of people who try and disguise themselves as zombies it only comes up occasionally that happened in the walking dead in the in the comic and then i think they did it in the show also they did but even then like it didn't work very well mm -hmm. it was like it was in episode two or something but it was like i can't really think of any other zombie movies maybe the guy who says imhotep in the mummy <laughs> but uh uhura's a, a movie buff i guess because she was talking about movies before when she was talking in uh the crossover episode at the end she's talking about like scheduling the next movie night she wanted the, to program mm -hmm. an endorian comedy i believe maybe father it should be like the orville where every single movie they watch is something from like the 1980s <laughs> oh i didn't know that that's funny uh well like uh, on enterprise all their movies are older than that yeah no uh, you know it was just seth mcfarlane just he he always just used the stuff he liked but uh, that's interesting about her i wonder if they'll if they'll want to follow up with that and you know show us some movie nights uh yeah, i mean that's i, I kind of like that and uh, trip tucker loved movies tom paris watched movies it's not a it's not a universal thing but there's people who mm -hmm. 
I, I guess it'd be more of a niche thing. It'd be like, you know, crocheting or I don't know, like some something like that. I, I loved Spock's line to Una when she's like, have you ever seen one? A zombie? No. A movie? Yes. That sounded so Spock. There, there's a couple lines yeah. like that that are like spot on, like TOS Spock. Yeah. There's also like a couple that that sounded very like unSpock, and I kind of felt sorry for Ethan Peck for having to like try to make it sound as Spock as possible. Like when he's saying stuff like, uh, like we have to take out the, uh, what does he say? He's like, we have to take it out, and I'm the only one who can pull it off. And it's just like that, you should have just been like, I'm the only one who can accomplish this or something. Like it didn't didn't sound it sounded like modern day talk. A pull bit it much. off, yeah, is yeah. not the kind of it's a little too colloquial for Spock. I, that popped out at me too. I, I definitely noticed that. And since we presume he's trying to rein in his human side right now because he feels like that he exposed himself by doing that with Christine, mm-hmm. it would make more sense for him to say something very Spock. Yeah, he should be like doubling down on the the Vulcan Vulcan. I agree, I, and I think that's what we'll get in season three. Yeah, I think so. I kind of wish he had said instead of like in his ship of really highly specialized and very well-trained people the notion that he's the only one who could do this is maybe a little iffy i almost wish he would have said he's like you know as part of my vulcan training he's like you know i can make calculations uh, at a higher rate uh, you know mathematical calculations than anyone on the ship uh or because you know you know we've done this mathematical mm-hmm. test just some one single line about why <laughs> I'm, I'm fine with him just he's the strongest person on the ship he's he's the only vulcan he's the only one strong enough i'm I'm fine with that uh it's it's i don't know it seemed a little i was like come on there's a lot of specialists on this They're yeah but not, he needed, this is not a, he said it had to be someone strong enough to handle those rockets oh did he say that like strong enough like physically yeah, strong? yeah he said it was an impossible a, a nigh impossible task for any human there's no weight that's what i was thinking but (laughs) you do if something is heavy like you know you can go up to the space shuttle and push it it has a lot of mass Mm -hmm. so but if they're i guess if those things have a lot of mass maybe if you had it like spinning around it'd be hard to get it to stop or something i don't know but we'll have to ask dr aaron mcdonald about maybe they maybe they consulted with her maybe they didn't consult with her and and should have um but that was my understanding of, of the dialogue but uh, yeah, I like I like Aaron's explanation in, in the chat a bit more if he was the only one who could calculate the slingshot effect. But it sounded like Palea had already worked out the math on the Enterprise. But I, maybe he needed to make like some final adjustments. You know, he had to get on the saucer and actually scan up close to the tricorder to figure out the exact mass and damage and structural integrity and had to make some last minute fine adjustments. It's that thing where... Next Generation probably went overboard in that sort of explanation sometimes, but what I wouldn't mind is just a line or two that kind of just help us along that direction. That's why, you know, part of why it sort of felt like the, a little retrograde to have both Pike and Spock getting out there to try and rescue their women. It sort of it felt like old school sci-fi, a little more sexist sci-fi, and, and um, Spock saying the, something like, only I can do this. Uh, that's the kind of thing that was also said in those shows. Yeah, and it's it's more like that tropey stuff. But Ortega has like that impressive descent in the shuttle, and uh, I don't know if you know this, Dave, but she's really good at flying the ship. Like, she's born to do that. I think they're going to mention that uh, maybe a little too often now. Uh, you know, way back in, I guess, the trailer for the season. They showed this is like the first thing we saw of season two. They showed this, and I did not like this scene. It's it's a hacky cliche that was in another visual cliche that was in another star trek movie what uh is that into darkness they jump off a cliff did they do it in two of them did they do it not only when they came out of the ocean to rescue spock but also when they had to uh drag uh, the ship out of idris elba's uh base or whatever and, and it goes like falling and then they have to hit, hit a certain speed and then they can you know fly it or something like that uh, oh the, the franklin like they, when like they had the, yeah the, yeah the, the well that was 
they were trying to like swoop up to like right but up, i feel but... like they filmed it the same way both times the oh it looks like they what? crashed oh they didn't crash who was the first one that looked like they crashed in the, in the i think that movies. something like that happened when um uh like spock and kirk and them uh they're like escaping and they just like what leap off the side of a cliff or something and then you know the enterprise rises with them it's oh, the, it, maybe, um, maybe, uh, uh spock I'm, I'm sorry uh kirk and mccoy uh dive into the ocean from a cliff yeah maybe that's what or i was they, thinking they of but swim like, to the enterprise very commonly it's a falling ship of some sort and you know i've seen it in other movies they probably did it in top gun maverick at some point when we were talking about more tegas i don't think we wanted them to like tell us about her flying the ship more and more I actually think, Dave. I think that they're they're not going to kill Battelle because they've they've drawn that out too long. So I think so too. Uh, That's I, part of the reason. I think it's going to be a bait and switch. I think they're going to kill someone else, possibly, oh. possibly Laon, possibly Ortegas. Yeah, where was it? I saw uh, this. Maybe, maybe this is. I might be giving it a preview of our subspace transmissions, but somewhere I saw somebody say that they are in a state of fear for everyone who's not a legacy character because we know that they are all potentially disposable. Um, and so there's like five of them or so. Um, and I'm like, yeah, I, I get that. You, you think Laon or Ortegas? Oh, I mean, we don't know their fates, so. Right. But it could be, uh, Pelly, I guess, could walk on and get killed a few episodes later. (laughs) Just with like the way that they're treating Ortegas by like not giving her a lot of development, but just like reminding us that like, oh, like, you know, everyone kind of likes her and she's the best at flying the ship. Just like, it's, it's like. Oh, like, y'all aren't wanting to invest too much into her because, like, you know you're about to offer, but you still want us to, like, like her and care about her, like, when that happens. So I think it could be with her. Or, like, La'on, like, they wrapped up her thing with Kirk, possibly, and she's, she's, like, had, like, this arc where she's like, you know what, I finally got over all this lifelong trauma that I've had, and then, and then she dies, you know, it would be kind (laughs) of tragic. Those would, those would honestly both be kind of messed up, but, um, you know, I, I would hope that they know that there's other ways for a character to exit a dramatic arc or a series than death. <laughs> yeah, but they want, I, they I really want the Gorn the to be the big bad. They want the Gorn to be like their Borg. They want they want what the Borg were for yeah. TNG. They want the Gorn to be that for Strange New Worlds. Right. So. And, and, and you know, if they wanted Leon doing that could be a, you know, number one, you once saved me from them. And I like, I'm going to pass that on. I'm going to, uh, you oh, know, yeah. uh, uh, now, now that now it's my turn to help somebody. It could work dramatically decently, but I hope they're not doing it because Lon, I think, has become one of the more interesting characters, and I want to see her continue to grow. But you know, if Ortegas goes, what are they? You know, is it Sulu time? Is that what I'm? Or they just put like number one back at the helm? Yeah, which we see her do that a little here. That would be somewhat interesting uh, because it would it would kind of give her a little bit more kind of. More to do help helped her define her character. I don't know if uh, Martin Quinn as Scotty is coming back as a series regular next year. They haven't said, mm. but if he is, it might be like, oh, they're getting rid of someone else to make room for him. But speaking of Laon, she does get some some Gorn action. She she finally kills a Gorn, I guess, like with a fa- because the One phasers shot. were the phasers were uh, harmless to the Gorn and uh, all those who wonder. And and so here, like the calibrations, yeah. the adjustments uh, seem to work. They seem to be effective and. They this is when they Pike kind of shows like a little bit of optimism and, and hopefulness when he's like, oh, well, you know, if we're not used to like the Gorn behaving this way, they're working together instead of competing. There's clearly a lot we don't understand about them. Maybe we can find a way to reach them. And, and La'an kind of pu- pushes back and is like, yeah, like you're always like so hopeful. And, you know, it's I think they, 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 they walk that they balance that line well of like making him like the, the pure, you know, optimist kind of a bleeding heart type, but without making him too naive. Yeah, 
Yeah, and I think that's good to do. I think he that's an that's an okay. Those are okay story places for him to be going. That's that's good stuff. By the way, somebody though, I think you know, since they were so Gordon kill happy, somebody should have gone up and given her a pat on the shoulder. That was one hit kill. Good good job. As long as we're <laughs> considering them monsters, yeah. Because you know, it's also like good job killing that baby, Leon. They are like so <laughs> ugly. Like the design, I, I the design they were going for. It's almost kind of like how Kirk described the Gorn in Arena, where he's like, you know, like as as, as any human, I'm obviously hardwired to be you know disgusted with the sight of like this you know cold-blooded reptile type ugly creature um and, and the the gorn definitely like embody that description more than the the rubber suit did the the the, the gorn younglings we see right i still fucking hate that they're called younglings um and like I, <laughs> is that used anywhere in life no that was that, like, we talked about this last year like i i said i dare someone uh, out there to fi- find three uses of that i don't even think there's one but just uh, i'll just go ahead okay someone probably said it in like the 70s or something find me three uses of that word that predate the the star wars prequels and and so far no one is no one has even brought up one so I'm going to have to Google it later because I don't think I even Googled it once. But I'm like, you know, like, uh, do they call, like, baby insects that? I don't think they do. I think they're called nymphs. And I mean, stuff like I kind of checked out of the other Star franchise when they started, like, having heroes murder younglings. So <laughs> That's you, fathery. That that made but me like. I don't more. like that we're do- we're murdering younglings in Star Trek now. So uh, it, it, yeah, it's another one of those things that's kind of weird. Like uh, it, it kind of only works if we consider them monsters. I do remember on the Ready Room though they said that they had this really these really nice kind of retro fifty sets and then just drenched them in blood <laughs> for the for these sequences. Yeah, kind of looks like they're going to like a, a haunted house or something. Mm-hmm. Like when they go, they they find Scotty's Gorn trap and we get the uh, the first appearance of a uh, Martin Quinn as Scotty uh, Montgomery Scott played by an actual Scottish actor for the first time ever. Um, what did what did you think? I, I knew about this. Uh, I, I found out about this before it happened. I didn't I didn't tell anyone. Uh, but what, good. What I, I, I wanted to ask you if you if you knew about that, and I wanted to know if you knew about the to be continued. I did. I didn't know about the to be continued, but I I, I kind of suspected mm. it about two thirds of the way into this episode. Yeah, yeah, definitely. As it was, I, I think I, I was yeah two thirds point. That's about right. When when I started started thinking. It's going to be tough to wrap up some of this stuff. It's funny because that was something I speculated the season one finale. I was like, they're going to bring back the uh, the Star Trek season cliffhangers. But they, mm. they didn't. Until, but season two, they did. Uh, I think I'm pretty much all team positivity about Scotty. I thought his portrayal mm. was good. I liked that he came out immediately as the kind of, this is a Scotty who thinks on his feet, who um, works with what he's got. And he's a bit of a miracle worker, kind of a little, little lightly comedic uh, in his portrayal. But yeah, all the, and the, the same kind of qualities that you know make O'Brien cool too. Mm-hmm. You know, these are the two engineers I most want, I think, around to get me out of a weird jam. Yeah, yeah, I really liked Martin Quinn, Scotty, and I only have a uh, one. I wouldn't even call it a complaint; just um, I don't know, like a, a concern. I, I would have loved him as like a young Scotty. He's uh, he's a bit too uh, too young to be scotty in in 2259 this is just uh right this is only six years before we see uh him in the original series he had like a little bit of like he had a little like gray hair in that or white hair right um not his hair is like pretty dark but i mean like he he, okay. he he looked like a dude who was uh you know like well over 40 right and 
it's just it's, it's going to be awkward if we see him next to Paul Wesley because at, at this point in in the timeline, Scotty's supposed to be thirty seven and Kirk is supposed to be twenty six, and they kind of look the other way. Like Paul Wesley kind of looks like he's thirty seven, <laughs> and uh, mm-hmm. Martin Quinn kind of looks like he's twenty six. But I mean, like it's not a huge yeah. deal. They're both really good in the roles, even though like I didn't I didn't love Kirk immediately in season one, but I I, I damn sure do after season two. And uh, I and hey Scotty, I already liked him, you know, immediately right off the bat with this scene. So I, you know, I, I can forgive them hiring a a a, a young looking dude. Some people age um, weirdly. You know, it's, it might be a rough five years. You know, but he seems he seems a little too youthful, I guess, in like his behavior. I mean, he's only a lieutenant junior grade, so he's uh, hasn't hasn't moved too far up the. But I think maybe he's just like so like eccentric and like you know doing like weird experiments and stuff. Like he keeps like getting in trouble, kind of like Kelvin. No, Kelvin Scotty was a, was a troublemaker. Yeah, he's beaming beagles around. Yeah, so maybe he's doing some of that in the prime timeline too. I mean, Paleo's remarks would kind of support that uh it was also kind of weird i get like okay he, he's 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 uh from scotland he's he's british he's gonna have like british pronunciations but we've never lieutenant we, yeah we've never had any like you know alexander sadig didn't say lieutenant but yeah when he's like but it is it is like a I, it's funny it made me laugh because i was thinking like when when pike is like this is you know lieutenant lan nunian singh this is uh, Lieutenant Ortega's. I uh, I was kind of thinking like, there's a lot of lieutenants on this show. So then when he's like, "That's a lot of lieutenant," or "That's a lot of lieutenants," I was like, "Yeah, it is." <laughs> so I was having like the same thought. You know what? Weirdly, fathery. Um, I I want them to in some way bring in just acknowledging uh some parallels with elements of the Kelvin verse timeline. I want them to bring in his his short friend Keenzer. <laughs> Um, who admittedly was just a visual joke in those movies, but I want them to find that and do something with it. When we did a text trek number one seven years ago, um, yeah. you asked me, uh, who was the, who did I think was the Jar Jar of Star Trek? And I said, Keenzer. Yeah. Then you told me he didn't count because he was prime. T- he's Kelvin timeline. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, I was right. Uh, <laughs> I think I probably at the time said uh, like Neelix or I remember I was like throwing out a few names, as I recall. Like uh, Neelix you said and... we talked about Neelix and you said also Luoxana Troy. Yeah, yeah. That was before I'd seen her in at least one like, uh, well, she has, I think, one really pretty good episode of Next Generation and one great episode or very good episode of, of Deep, Deep Space Nine. I hadn't seen that one yet. I'm beaten up on a on a little bit of, of the writing in this episode, but I, I do want to say one thing that made me very happy was that the show clearly wanted to kind of telegraph Patel's danger, her jeopardy. They they, they that was intentional. Like we were thinking about this, you know, weeks ago. Like, oh my god, what if this spells danger for Patel? You know, when I was like, oh, they're gonna do like a serious relationship, and then they're gonna do like this big Gorn episode. I mean, the episode opens with you know a Gorn ship appearing at the planet she's on. So clearly, the intent is. For us to be worried and stressed about Battelle. So that was all intentional. That does make me feel like a lot better um, about about the writing. And, yeah, you know, we it, it was effective in this episode. Like, we don't know. Is she going to be one of the survivors? Is, is she not? And then you, know, you kind of breathe a little sigh of relief when you see her. And then you, you're you like, oh, shit, I thought we were safe. And, you know, it kind of hits harder later when we find out about her infection. Right, right. Um, but she's she's pretty uh, active in, in the story here. You know, she's side by side with Pike. Scotty's explaining the... The intel that he brings from the uh, from his his ship, the the Star Diver, and and is talking about the CMEs and how these you know we they they did set up like the weird light thing in Memento Mori, how the Goring ships communicated. So mm-hmm. they, they they I don't know if I'm gonna like what they've thought out, and it might have too much xenomorph in it. But they mm-hmm. there is like a a little bit of of you know effort behind the scenes that that's obvious. Uh, you know they 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 are trying to 
plan things, coordinate things. Even the special effects guys on the ready room talked about how, like, they had to go back and forth with the writers about, like, well, what's the actual adult Gorn? What's, like, their, you know, their their, their culture, their physiology, like, all that stuff. We need to have it all defined so that we know how to build up to it. And if they're doing that on the effects front, I'm sure they're they're doing that. Uh, in, in the writer's room as well. And that they're, they're going to, to build up to something that they've, they've planned that hopefully has mm-hmm. a, has a logic to it. Not sure if I'll like it, but it's, it seems like they're, they're putting in an effort on, on that front. I did think that um, Pike, you know, you know, arguably him going down on such a dangerous mission was a bit of a stretch as to what a captain should be doing, even within it's, Star it's, Trek parameters. Yeah. I mean, like it's Star Trek. So pretty dangerous. But then when he was like, I'm going to go off on this secret mission, you know, me, the leader, uh, I was like, I don't, I don't know if that's a good idea, bro. <laughs> it's uh, uh, I, I was a rare case. Normally, I am, I'm okay with this trope, and I just roll with it. But the idea of him just sneaking off in the middle of the night when he's really the man with the plan, uh, he's in a possible wartime situation. They might need to, you know, keep mm-hmm. tensions from spoiling over into a full blown intergalactic. They have Battelle though. They have like he probably shouldn't go on a secret mission. I I disagree but, yeah, with but, that. Like they they have like Battelle. Well, both captains he... went on it too. That's that's oh nuts. yeah, that is true. I was thinking like he would probably like want to take Mbenga with. I mean, like I know my instinct would be like, man, I I should ask Mbenga to go with me. They're like, well, they need a doctor here, so. You know what he should have been? He should be like, you know what I need? The Butcher of Jagal. Actually, like, he, <laughs> he should have brought La'an, is what I would have done. Yeah, that, that she's proven uh, adept. But, right, th- we know this This is tr- kind of Trek trope stuff, and it's it's him being kind of self-sacrificing and wanting to, you know, do a thing that a lot of times Kirk did, too, uh, which is like, he's like, I'm gonna, I wouldn't, you know, I'm gonna take this risk because I know it's a high risk. Um, another thing I'll say about like the, uh, you know, some some consistency in the writing and some some things that they've kind of planned and 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 built up and fleshed out. Uh, the, the show has has done a lot of showing but not telling, but they've they've just showed in scenes of like who is talking to each other that uh, Ortega's and Mbenga are Chapel's, you know, besties. They're they're who she hangs mm-hmm. out with. They're always, you know, joking around in sick bay and stuff. And she, you know, goes and drinks in the bar with Ortegas. And so I kind of like having the two of them just, you know, showing their concern. It's not just Spock who's worried for Chapel and Benga right. and Ortegas are too. It's a good scene. When they leave to go to the shuttle, I thought it was funny how like Patel is like, oh, Chris, if you're going, I'm going too. And then Scotty is like, oh, if y'all are going, I'm going too. It's just like everyone's just like yeah. waking up. But they, they call it out. I and sort he's of like, appreciated yeah, it's, it's like y- y'all, y'all were having your secret meeting like two feet. From yeah, like me. this is literally <laughs> my sleeping spot. Like I've I've been sleeping here like all week. Like, uh, <laughs> no, not my fault. Y'all did it right here. And then we get the uh, the Alien Three thing where the uh, the yep. the Gorn baby. Uh, did did you catch this like uh, immediately when it happened? Um, when like it the Gorn and Battelle come face to face like they're about to kiss, and then it doesn't bite. Mm-hmm. It like runs away. No, I thought this was going to be what I was really hoping more that it would be some in in. Intimation that the Gorn aren't that that maybe their kill mode can t- turn off because of like environmental factors, and I was like, oh, okay, cool, they're getting there, and it looks like whatever they're going to do with that, we're not going to find out till next season. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes, so I, I did not think of what it was, even though um, what did that happen in? So that, that's right. That was an Alien Three. It could have like killed her, but then it like just scampers off. Right? Yeah, that's funny because when I saw when I saw the scene, I was like, "Oh, she's probably pregnant with Gorn, like an Alien 3. And I bet Dave caught that because I know for a fact he just watched Alien Three not that long ago. <laughs> I'm a big dingus, father. Um, no, you, yeah, you're no, just wrapped uh, up in the other I, stuff. I saw what I wanted to see a little bit in it, mm. and also what what I thought that they were maybe setting up. Well, we'll see. Um, but I I kind of like. 
Battelle just, I, I get uh, uh, her having a, a say and her being like, you know, look, like, let me go do this dangerous stuff. You know, I need to go on these dangerous missions. I have still have like a day and a half. I can still be useful. You know what? Let me just uh, take this device in to be the, the fake Gorn transponder. I'll get in your shuttle. I'll crash it. I'll do the kamikaze mission and then you can beam up. And, uh, you know, that all makes sense. You know, uh, fortunately, she ends up not having to do that. I don't know if, if you're ready to talk about the stuff going on back on the Enterprise with, you know, Spock. Yeah, and, yeah, you know, sure. You know, Spock doesn't want to give up hope on Chapel on the Cayuga, and he's like, well, there's, you know, pockets of oxygen over there, and I like that they're having to just use, like, visual things, like, you know, their scanners are uh, severely dampened because of the interference field, so they have to, like, just sit there and wait for the saucer to spin around to get, like, a look at sickbay, and then when they do, it's, oh, like, that entire chunk of the saucer is gone. Right. And Una trying, like, they don't give Rebecca Romaine a ton in this episode, but she makes the most of her moments. I I liked her trying to comfort Spock. Yeah, uh, you know, it's it's one of those things that just, in some ways, it also just reminds me, I wish she had had, you know, more more time this season. She had one very notable episode in episode two, and then she's had some interesting scenes. She seemed to indicate she was really trying to change how she interacted with people and kind of might have maybe how she practiced being a first officer uh, in the musical episode. And I was like, all right, let's start seeing it. Let's go. And they haven't really shown us that, which that would have been a bit of continuity I would have liked. I will say, by the way, I did like uh, Pike mentioning the musical thing <laughs> where he's like, oh, I haven't broken out in song in, you know, the last 24 yeah. hours. I, I like that uh, just so to, I, um, just to like it. confirm, like they still remember that. Like that was that was an actual event yep. that happened in history. They're like was that recorded. was one of the craziest things that ever that happened. But it... Mariner and Boimler will talk about in Lower Deck season five. They'll be like, <laughs> remember that time everyone in the Enterprise started singing? What uh, Mariner and Boimler need to talk about was is things like how was it? How how did it work that we would sometimes form a chorus with people in completely different sections of the ship? Um, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, they, there's uh, you could start poking at logistics. <laughs> what do you think of the uh, the Palea and Uhura stuff when Uhura like Uhura just has theories all the time. This is the second episode of the season when she's like, I have a theory, but uh, you're talking about like Buffy <laughs> references. Uh, but you know, Palea is kind of like dismissive of her at first. But like, I don't know. What did you think about their scene together? We hadn't we hadn't seen them interact um, much before. Yeah. Um. What was what was Uhura's theory? Was this the 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 thing that's on the far side of the planet that the tower? Yeah. She wants to crash into that that green tower thing, and yeah, th- that'll bring down the interference field. It just needed an engineer to to you know do the do the math on it. Yeah, I think it's I think it's fun. I liked it because I like when you sometimes put together people who just don't otherwise get a lot of screen time together, and you just kind of see oh, what are these personalities like in in conjunction? You know, how do they how do they interact? I guess who her is like she's good at putting communications up. She's good at bringing communications <laughs> down. No, it makes sense for the communications officer and the engineer to be you know using those skill sets. So I like that they're they're kind of doing the you know the ensemble thing and everyone involved in the big finale. They, uh, they they escalate the stakes by having like more and more Gorn ships show up and, and Una telling Spock like well, I, I can't make the red alert any any more of a red alert you know, um, <laughs> but th- then yeah Spock does his actual line is uh placing those rockets is a near impossible task no human can do this I however can which I thought that does sound like pretty Spock but then later he's like further I am the only member of the crew who can pull this off and I was like well that's uh, not quite great but. Yep. When we get to the Cayuga, and let's talk about like like Chapel and the rockets and the spacesuit fight and the the saucer crash. But I love that like beautiful cross section view of a Constitution class saucer 
Uh, I have the uh, the old AMT model that they did. That's like an actual cross section where oh, you can see yeah, into it yeah. like this. And yes, yeah, I, I just like seeing like these these shapes and stuff. But yeah, that looked so good. So much of the effects into this episode were were really stunning and cinematic. I think the the kind of the, the the big budget that they've got for modern Trek TV is that it's best for me when it makes it feel like this cool sandbox to be immersed in and you really feel like, oh, that would be so amazing to be on this planet or or to see that site. Although also horrific in this one. I mean, you know, that is a that is a, you know, dead battleship or not battleship, but a dead starship that once had was home to a few hundred at least. They were home to every single person on that ship, except for the one who we knew was going to survive, who had plot armor, <laughs> and just, for whatever reason, everyone else died except for her. She just beamed up just in time to be the only person to not die. Um, yeah. That was uh, I that don't was know. Weird. You know what's funny? I don't know quite why, but it didn't particularly bother me. Maybe it's because I know that a lot of times they will dress up stuff when, you know, like, they'll they'll they'll, you know, they'll throw out dialogue about how she's, like... You know, maybe there's some other people that she, that that could that could be saved, or you know, somehow explain how only she survived. But in the end, what we care about is the characters we know, and everybody else is kind of just set dressing. That's just kind of the nature of drama. A lot of dramas that we care about those people, and otherwise, a ship could blow up, and that doesn't mean a whole lot to us. Um, but it that is kind of a that is some Kelvin action movie stuff there. it would have made more sense to have scotty on the cayuga and he survives because he did like some crazy engineering thing or something but it's just, i guess it just chapel's blind luck like she she beamed up and immediately I mean, ran to the safest part of the ship that no one else was in they wanted uh they wanted yeah you know they they, they were trying to make it work so that she and spock they, you right. know, it was built the scene was built to get them together right yeah, it's like a lot of a lot of convenient stuff. Like, I, and I would it was very convenient. I would accept a lot of like it'd be like okay, she can just she just happens to be like near the window where she can see the Enterprise. Spock just happens to pass by that same window on his way to the saucer. I would forgive that, but it's like her being like the sole survivor. The first time I was watching this, I was like, oh, there's a lot of people on there, and she's gonna. This is so cool. Chapel's gonna like restore life support. She's like, oh, I got one hour of life support. I can work with that. And she's about to be like this medical badass, like go around treating people. And and it, and it was like, no, she's just like the only person who lived for no reason other than just uh, you know. Pure <laughs> luck I, I suppose maybe in season two they'll be like oh this is why chapel survived but i not holding my breath for that one <laughs> that's a long time to hold your breath anyways but i thought spock looked really badass in his environmental suit and the rockets and all of that stuff uh yeah i i actually thought like as an action sequence this was pretty cool stuff i like seeing the debris field we've seen debris fields before in star wars you know from the going back to the asteroid scene and other stuff but i thought this was a kind of a unique spin on it like they were doing something a little bit different I liked seeing a maneuver in there, but kind of like you would see the Gorn like scan beam, like kind of just, you know, hitting nearby objects. And you'd get that sense that, you know, one wrong move and it might spot you. Uh, speaking speaking of the Gorn, mm -hmm. we get our first look at an adult Gorn in the I guess it's in a Gorn environmental suit. Um, but yeah, uh, Chapel sees the Gorn trying to, to hack the, the computer. And I guess that's what he's doing. You, you hear the computer voice saying, you know, uh, wrong command code or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what what did, what did you think about this this reveal of this this creature? Arguably, by the way, that's the le least be bestial thing that they've done is is him trying to hack something, and uh, I, I thought they looked cool, you know, hulking, weird, you know, kind of hanging from the ceiling or you know zero g suspended anyway, and I like the idea of seeing a Gorn in you know a uh, pressure suit, flight suit, whatever you. Whatever you call it, it's a, it's a cool design, and like I, the environmental suit looks cool. But I was disappointed when I saw the face. It just uh, it wouldn't be recognizable as Gorn to me. 
But you know, it, it, it's a lot like the Gorn from the uh, the, the Kelvin video game that I, that I know you played. Um, it's mm-hmm. a bit, and like those Gorn had tails, and you know the Arena Gorn didn't have a tail. So it, it's definitely. But the Enterprise Gorn had a tail. Mm-mm. Did it? Maybe it did. Yeah. It sweeped. Uh, I think it sweeped oh, Archer off his feet. Um, yeah, it like it, like, it was clearly it hung low. It, it hung low like a like a T Rex kind of. I think. Right um, here, it's a little weird because you see it in zero G, and so it does coil around, mm. and it does it it it's, it can't help but be a little reminiscent of an of the xenomorph tail in the, <laughs> of course. Yeah, I, uh, uh, sadly, uh, too reminiscent. Like I feel like like they add like the the spikes to it, which feel like really like impractical for an environmental suit, but like it it makes it look a lot more like a xenomorph. Right. So, yeah, it has kind of like a biological sort of. Uh, look to it, uh, so that it, you know, it looks, it, yeah, it, look, it looks, it looks close to like H.R. Geiger's, you know, morphish type stuff. But I think I was just enjoying the sheer big physicality of it. Pretty good special effects. Yeah, I want a Gorn whose lizard face looks a little bit more like the TOS lizard face. Um, yeah, but... I want like those like dead eyes that have like no emotion. Like if they yeah, really want to make something yeah. like, like make like those like those dead eyes work on a modern design. A doll's eyes, chief. <laughs> Jaws, uh, but and I thought this was a good action sequence that followed. I kind of liked their little zero G shootout and, and yeah, stuff. No, the, Spock got on board. Uh, this whole like the whole like Spock spacesuit stuff, like all of it. Like even though like I don't like the uh, the Gorn design or a, a lot of the Gorn stuff, I I, I do dislike. But I I do enjoy the way that all this was like shot and edited and i love the you know the music that how they kind of did like this like dark suspenseful variation on like those opening four notes of the star trek theme uh i i also like i liked it like cutting back and forth to una like nervously watching in spock's scanner and you hear like you know the tos sound effects all of this stuff like it came together really well and like i said even though i know chapel and spock survived a tos i was still kind of on the edge of my seat watching all of this and i like i like spock has like a hand-to-hand even even though it's you know weird for him to be encountering the gorn here but i i like oh yeah like spock has like a, a kind of a hand-to-hand fight with the gorn and it's, it's still a dude in a suit and uh, i i did think that it i don't know i just think back to like leonard nimoy talking about how uh, when he saw the, uh, a script and it called for Spock to, uh, you know, knock someone out with a karate chop and or you punch mm-hmm. him in the face or knock him out or something. He was like, oh, Spock would have like a more like elegant intellectual solution. He would he would use like a this this weird nerve pinch or something. And I I, I, I am disappointed that here, you know, Spock has to resort to just oh, I'm just going to stab it in the face like a caveman right. would, would solve this problem. Kelvin stuff. <laughs> yeah, I, I, but it was suspenseful. You know, he like grabs the tail with one hand. I was like, man, that'd be ballsy. Like grab this Gorn's tail. Like that'd be terrifying. To and then like st- yeah. hope, just hope I can stab through the through the the helmet and get this guy. Mm-hmm. And you know, Chapel watching with the phaser and all that. You know, her like floating. Like can can she grab the phaser in time? It, you know, it was very well put together. And even like the Gorn's death, how it's like, you know, struggling and. Uh, I guess probably terrified as all the the air is leaving its lungs. Yeah, for just a minute while I was watching that, I like I was like, is this scene going to inadvertently kind of draw sympathy? Because it's hard to watch anything, uh, even a scary thing, breathe its last gasps uh, in a panic and die. And and I was like, okay, I think they 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 made it like grisly enough that you're that uh, you know you might have just a little bit of sympathy, but not they didn't linger on it so much that they made them non monstrous yet. 
And this is what I was talking about with kind of like that frustration where like you're just not feeling the moment. Like I love Spock and Chapel and I still kind of thought, you know, it looked really cool. Like the way like the two of them like float out of the saucer and they watch it crash and like they hold hands. I thought that was sweet. But it's like, man, like it would have been so much more enjoyable for me if I was like on board with the story they were telling. Like this would this would have hit so hard since I'm I'm such a diehard like Spock and Chapel fan. I actually think that uh, as I've thought about this is that that them holding hands was almost – well, it's the kind of thing you might do instinctively, for sure. Like, they, they had just survived mm-hmm. something. They also don't want to, like, float their, away from each other, so. They had their reprieve, but I kind of think I, I would have rather it just be a little bit more realistic survival, where they just, like, have a hand clamped on to the, you know, backpack or whatever of the other person, and they're just still looking a little terrified and freaked out about it all. But visually, I'm like, I've never really quite seen something like that. Yeah. You know, we've seen we've seen a saucer section go into an atmosphere. We've seen it blow up. But I haven't seen it just kind of dropping away from you like that. It's almost as if you had released it and, you know, going down, picking up all that atmosphere. I sort of was hoping, you know, they then they cut to down on the surface where it looked like it was like half a mile from Pike. And that uh, and I was like, I feel like this would make like a big nuclear explosion level explosion. I, I kind of wish that they had let it do that and that that tower had been farther from them so they could go ahead and let that thing just light up a whole chunk of continent. I don't know if like a saucer would cause that big of a thing, but it would it would definitely be like a big crater. I was just thinking if nothing else, like, I mean, the sheer size of it, but it's, it probably wouldn't have a ton of velocity. It's not like an asteroid coming in that's, you know, going at like thousands of miles an hour. But um, I, you know, I just assume that uh, there's 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 some kind of dilithium antimatter shit. That's all in the secondary hole. Is there nothing that nothing at all in there? There's got to be some kind of uh, gasoline. Um, I, th- <laughs> I like, don't know. There, there's nothing established I can think of that would be like a hyper explosive, but in the saucer. Okay. Well, but, I, I mean, like there, action movies where there could be where things you could, explode. You could, make, you could you know put some. There's like a backup reactor or something in there. If you if there you, you go. Want. I'm thinking of. Uh, I must be thinking of the Battle Bridge. But that's um, in the secondary <laughs> hole too. The saucer is mainly just like the bridge, and then like a bunch of like crew quarters and like you know the ready room and sick bay and like most of like the high tech stuff is down in the secondary hole. Joel points out if the saucer was in orbit, it would have to be going at least twenty five thousand miles an hour. What's that stuff? That, I forget what you call it, where you drop like a chunk of steel from space and you just let it fall. Oh, uh, it mass creates... driver. Is that, or I no, guess, that's when you that's it's... when you project something with like a uh, like a railgun thing, right? Or no, no, mass it, drivers. That's of... what they called it in, in Babylon Five. It was mass drivers. Yeah, is that what it is? But yeah, I think those things are you know have the potential to be hugely destructive. I think this would be too, but you know, Trek is well, realistic. It, to it a would point. depend on how much of it like holds together and like the weight of it and stuff. Like all that stuff that yeah. you're talking about, like they drop things that are like extremely dense. Like they wouldn't they yeah. they wouldn't have like. Like as uh, you know, Spock says, I mean, like, you know, like these holes are at least at least meant to be able to take some phaser shots without without um, shields sometimes or some you know to to, to not ex- to have it just go right through them. So there, there's probably probably some pretty dense stuff on the outside, but uh, but a lot, lot yeah, very hollow in. And and I know Trek is realistic to a degree. So uh, mostly, I actually was watching that scene. And I was like, that's pretty cool. Uh, I think I was more on board than you were, Fathery. At this point, I was, I was like, uh, I don't know if the thing had been revealed about uh, what do you call it, Battelle yet? But um, yeah, they already I, yeah, knew was... that she had the. Well, it was right around that time when she, she was like, uh, I, "I let me kamikaze this thing," and then Scotty's yeah. like, "Oh, you don't have to. Conveniently, right now, the saucer's gonna crash." <laughs> Duck down. I was uh, I got a surge of enthusiasm from Scotty's introduction, from it veering away from 
being two aliens from the sequence fighting the Gorn, seeing a full-grown Gorn. Uh, there was there was enough things that I liked in there that I was pretty on board at the the episode at that point. I did like when they beam Chapel and Spock back to the Enterprise, and number one is immediately like, okay, y'all got to get to work. Sorry, <laughs> but we really need you. And then I thought the switcheroo <laughs> they do with beaming up the colonists, was that was really clever. They tricked me. I did not see it until the end with the, when they reveal right. it. So so good job with that, because they, they show a shot of them beaming up, and, and they play fair, and it's a different transporter effect, but it's subtle enough in the heat of the moment I didn't notice, and they, they cut from them beaming yeah. up to then Pike and Battelle walking off of the transporter pad, so it gives you the impression, just you know from watching how they edit Star Trek, you think like, oh, they beamed everyone up, they're all back on board. Yep, yep. They they were pretty clever yeah. about it. I think good job, good job editing there, fellas. Yeah, uh, I, I've I've mentioned this several times. But yeah, both the the, the directing and the editing both uh, extraordinarily good. This episode, which the writing would have kept up with them a little bit, for, you know, for me. But uh, yeah, they they were killing it. Sure. Uh, and, and that's when they do talk about like Patel and 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 you know Pike being like, look, Himmer didn't give us a chance to try anything. Like at least let us try. And and him, I liked him in Chapel when he when Patel is like, if it looks like I'm gonna turn, let me go. And then Pike telling Chapel like, I don't I don't intend to give up on her. And Chapel like, yeah, me neither. So I I liked all that stuff. I like Scotty and Palia. Mm-hmm. Uh, another another uh, really good use of getting some levity into like this really serious high stakes story. But I liked their uh, their history. Something I suggested when <laughs> when she said Himmer was just, like an okay student. I said like, oh, I bet like that kid from Aberdeen was her best student and... <laughs> nope apparently you know that this may uh, be telling you something that even for you know presuming if we grant that she's a good teacher and maybe she's not um <laughs> well, she said he was um, the best student but he had the worst grades right but like look at yeah like look at look at these these graduates that turned out hammer number one and scotty these are all like some of the best of the best in starfleet she she should uh, maybe say like well maybe my my bad grades don't mean shit <laughs> if it turns out you came out so well, yeah. But uh, they're you know they're running around with the the Gorn transponder thing, and then there's more Gorn ships beaming in, and they they take the time to show us Patel is sedated in sick bay. They take the time to show us you know Scotty and Palia about to do something with with the gear that he brought. Um, the ship just they they really do a good job of like making you feel like the ship is is under attack. They're just getting beat up explosions everywhere yeah this is this is next level this is more than people rocking back and forth on the bridge <laughs> this is explosions that make people fly through the air and look like they're causing serious injuries if not some deaths yeah. they would do this in Berman era sometimes it's normally like a big deal like in you know in, in the right. pilot episode of deep space nine when you see a you know a vulcan fly out of his seat at the at wolf 359 it was uh you know, right it's, it's something like you do you save this you save this for like the the really big battles i guess it's the the visual language of trek is actually pretty consistent on that it's like if it's if you're in a bit of a rough spot bouncing back and forth things start getting bad guys get catapulted <laughs> yeah, and so we we end with they've the the interference field is gone everyone's back on the enterprise except for mbenga laon ortegas and the other survivors they're in a gorn ship the gorns are attacking the enterprise april says don't return fire it can start a war Battelle and sickbay and Pike being asked, "What are you gonna do?" And it seems like uh, he he is uh, uncertain, and that is where we're going to have to leave Strange New Worlds for probably like a year and a half. I'm gonna guess, probably till the first half of 2025. It's gonna be a bit. I've talked to at least two people who were kind of upset about the to be continued. I, I, it, it's funny because it never even occurs to me to kind of my mind just doesn't kind of work. Yeah, that like way. it doesn't. It seems it's weird to me when people are like, "Oh, I hate that I have to wait." So it's like oh, that's just. 
I don't, sometimes TV has like a cliffhanger finale. Like that's just uh normal. Yeah, to me it's fun, and yeah. uh, you know it, it it evokes it evokes fun times. Now you know if you thought it was like poorly done, that's that's fair. That's people can not like how it was done. Um, but but yeah, I don't, and, and we are gonna have to wait longer. Uh, I guess I just always feel like there's really just so much entertainment bouncing around in our world. Well, even with Star Trek, I'm never like I'll never be entertained again. We have <laughs> we we're gonna get twenty episodes of Prodigy somewhere. Uh, we're gonna get that. We're gonna get uh ten Discovery. We're gonna get ten Lower Decks. There's gonna be forty episodes of Star Trek to keep us entertained in the meantime. So. I'm not, it's not a, it's not a huge concern. And again, like, I'm not really like that invested in like this story. I'm more looking forward, like I was saying, to Strange New World season three, episode two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, yeah, yeah. ten, than I am episode one. This is. Yeah, you're ready to get to, to, to move past the Gorn and whatever Battelle's fate will be. And you're like, let's see what's happening over on Planet X. Yeah. Let's, uh, can we get a, some Tholians in the house, please? Give me, give me some Tholians in season three. I saw in the comments that Dan Kiefer said uh, it was a weird ending. It was like he was possessed, talking about Pike. And I, I do – like they did that thing that I used to notice when I would like watch um, – my grandmother would be watching soap operas, daytime soaps. Mm-hmm. And when they're about to cut to commercial, somebody will have said something dramatic like, you know, that was my sister. And then the camera would zero in on their face and hold on it for a weirdly long amount of time, you know, like five full beats of a second, five seconds. And I, and But it was like – that was just how they're like – we want the audience to kind of – we want the moment to almost – I feel like time slows down. I think in both these soaps, which are pretty stupid. I'm not a soaps guy, but uh, but also in Trek, I think they were kind of allowing for it to be a sort of a subjective experience. Not like – it sort of did feel like Pike is like, hmm, I wonder what I'll do while everybody else is blowing up around him. But I think it was just supposed to be more like sl- time slow to a crawl for him as this momentous, horrific decision weighs on his shoulder well, so just a bit of stylish filming I think. I think it i think it's very obvious that they're they, they wanted this to be that best of both worlds cliffhanger where there's a close-up on Riker on the bridge where he has to make like the the important decision like do you fire on picard or not um but what they do different is like in that case and with best of both worlds they immediately had Riker say uh you know fire so then it's kind of like you know it it, it hits very uh, different because you're like oh shit he he did shoot What's gonna What's gonna be the the results of that? They should uh, somebody should uh, should uh, edit that in where they're like your orders, Captain. Your orders, and they just cut to Riker. He's like fire. <laughs> but I, I I'm no I I'm I'm glad they didn't do like the same thing that they because they yeah, would have yeah. been like. Oh, that's like an exact copy of of that moment. So yeah, no, no, I want it to literally be Riker saying it, like he just kind of as if he just leaped onto their bridge and he's like, "Man of action, time, fire." But uh, but I I mean I think I think Riker is probably a better wartime captain than than Pike. But I think I think that's a really cool flaw to give like your main guy. It's kind of a flaw that also oh he's so good he's so good at heart that it's hard for him to be he can still do it but it's it's just it goes against his nature and he has to become the warrior you know. Yeah. I like that I, I like that a lot and it, it, it's you know it's it's also something that kind of makes them seem a little different than Kirk. If you're gonna have Kirk showing up on the show a lot, I think it's good to highlight those distinctions because Pike you know Roddenberry had like the same idea for you know. Pike and the only reason why he ch- he changed the name is because like he wanted to be able to reuse the footage of the cage when he knew he wasn't getting Jeffrey Hunter back. So it's the only reason why he he named Shatner's character Kirk instead of Pike. One of my favorite moments on um in, in season what was the season one finale called? Uh, a quality of mercy. Quality of mercy, right? Referencing errand of mercy was um, seeing Kirk and Pike kind of debate tactics mm-hmm. and and letting Kirk kind of be a kind of a clearly different kind of captain. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I, I really liked that. And so. you know, you know what I was thinking of this earlier today, and like, well, you know, what what would be the re- why does Kirk have that that edge, you know, that Pike doesn't? And I was thinking like, oh, what if it comes from? And I used to kind of push back when people would say this. I guess I'm getting on board with it now. But the idea of like Kirk being, he's kind of a nerd grown up. He's kind of, you know, the, the walking stack of books with legs. I never meant that mm-hmm. to be like, oh, he's kind of like a nerd kid that got like bullied a lot growing up. But I know like people, because like Finnegan and stuff like that, there, there is a strong case to be made for that. And, and probably like the majority of fans probably agree with that at that point. And I've, I've kind of come around to it in recent years just because I didn't really picture that growing up. But hearing people make the case for it. So it's like, what if because of that, because he had like a little bit of a rougher time, you know, what if, what if Pike was like, he was always like, He's always he's, liked. he's always the stud. He's always like the real popular kid. And every people are just like always nice to him. And then you have like Kirk, who like had to deal with like the bullies and stuff. And like he that kind of like toughened him up. And he knew like no, like sometimes sometimes you're not going to be able to sweet talk your way out of things. You're just going to have to like punch someone in the face to to save your your own ass. You just you just got to do it. And like maybe that's where he learned that. Yeah, it's one of those things where you know, yeah, we're we're kind of like trying to make the disparate pieces of some stories mm-hmm. fit together. But I think it's I think it's a solid case. Yeah. I think I think it works. And that's fun to do. I love trying to you know put this stuff together yeah. like that. It's part of the one of the fun bits of of a shared world is yeah. seeing you know when things maybe don't quite seem like they fit, and then you're like, well, but maybe if we kind of give a generous reading of this and re- try and you know focus on you know this element, they're like maybe it does work, <laughs> and that's pretty cool. Yeah. And I also think it, it really reinforces what they, they brought up in Discovery Season 2 when they kept the Enterprise out of the war. And uh, Cornwell said that was because they, you know, they wanted – if anyone was going to survive, they wanted it to be the Enterprise. They wanted it to be Pike and his right. crew and you know the, the best of it, the best of the Federation. But it, it might have also – part of that might have been like – you know, uh, we're trying to like genocide the Klingons by planting a bomb on Kronos, and I don't think Chris is going to go along with that. So maybe we need we do right. need to like push him out of the war. That's what they told him, but that wasn't completely what they <laughs> meant. Hmm. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, like it works on like both fronts. So yeah, I, it does. I, I like that. It does. Um, so that's that's a cool thing. I like I like that addition to his character. And uh, I'm, uh, I, I guess uh, I, I am curious myself, you know, what does he decide to do? So uh, we will we will find out eventually. I suspect I suspect it will be one of these things where what is, it is presented as a binary choice. And I don't think that he's going to win the day by treating it as such. I think he's <laughs> going to find the Kirk thing, like not exactly a Kirk thing, but some sort of third way out. He doesn't like to lose either. That kind of has the Star Trek thing. It's like, oh, we're, yeah. we're so smart. We came up with a. With a, uh, with a better Kirk is solution. not the only one to do that. To me, I think of it as a superhero thing, because I think it always comes down to like you know how in superhero comics, especially the ethos used to be in like the Bronze Age mm-hmm. was like they don't kill, and you know there there would always be like there's always a better way, and they kind of made it so that for most of those characters, you know sometimes it's because they had powers, but. They actually did always find some other way, and you know I like that idea that you know if you pushed yourself hard enough, yeah. if you were innovative enough, that you could always work around that. Well, it's an you inspirational know, story, not tr- right. And it's something you're like, I I will try to be like that. If, if yes, you're reading when, like a, a superhero comic and you're asking for realism, I I think you're barking up the wrong tree. So I, I like that. I like that inspirational uh, aspect of this. Yeah. It's like the uh, the Age of Ultron to make it you know a bit more like a normie recognizable thing, but like like sure. when you're basically like oh uh, if you know, we're not gonna be able to like save all these people in time to you know stop the city from falling. And then Captain America is basically like, "Fuck that! We're gonna find a way anyways because we're just <laughs> we're just gonna do it." Yeah, yeah, I, I like the idea that perseverance and and goodwill could could drive it to things to just work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you want to watch like a Captain America story where it's you know like gritty reality, then I I, I don't that, that confuses the hell out of me. I don't know. I don't know. That's a, that's not uh, that's a weird way to to look at superheroes i think in my opinion 
Yeah. But, you know, I think we all do also like little shades of realism in there. You want sometimes a veneer of realism, even if it's not realism, realism. You want it to still feel like it's the real world and not just fantasy land. Yeah, I want it to, to ring true in some in some way. Yeah, but. a little bit true. I mean, like if you made like a realistic Batman movie, like the bat signal wouldn't work. You can't just like aim a spotlight up in the sky and make like this bright ass signal that some dude who lives, you know, 30 miles outside of the city is going to see. And his bad guys would probably grab his cape all the time and throw his ass yeah. around. Yeah, but like, I mean, like <laughs> who the hell wants to see a Batman movie that doesn't have a cape and doesn't have a bat signal? You know, yeah. that's... Yeah, if you take yeah. that away, then you've just got what was it? I think uh, I think I heard like Christian Bale or somebody talking about wearing the bat suit, and he said if you get rid of it, he's just a special ops guy, like a black ops dude just running around on the buildings. Like you need the cape. It's like that's what makes you know the theatricality is Batman too. Yeah, yeah, totally. Sorry for the tangent, y'all. It's just uh, just a little superhero nerding out. Well, let's talk about some some Gorn eggs. Those are the uh, the Easter eggs, in jokes, and continuity connections in the episode. I thought would be worth mentioning. Uh, ironically, not very many in this episode. Uh, there's a, there's a few though. These are the rare Gorn eggs you want to hatch, we... <laughs> not like the ones on the show. <laughs> yeah, not like the ones that are uh, in in Battelle's body. Or uh, I don't know where do those eggs just? I guess like in like the chest. Like they come I out think... of Buckley's back. Oh, you're right. It must go through your body system and kind of go to your chest and body cavity stuff because uh, yeah like her arm is where they like i guess entered but i guess yeah, the other like little little swimmers go in there i don't know it's gross <laughs> uh the visual gorn egg we got was the use of the uh gorn uh, insignia logo what it graphic whatever you want to call it yeah uh which was made canon just last year in the star trek prodigy episode masquerade um but it originally came from the uh star trek starfleet academy video game in the 90s it had like the live action footage of there's Shatner as Kirk and George Takei as Sulu and uh, they made a, a Klingon Academy sequel to it that's pretty cool but yeah that, that's where it, it first originated um, but on screen now and then of course Montgomery Scott I, I love that Pelia is the first person in in the timeline to call him Scotty because he introduces himself as uh, mm. Lieutenant Montgomery Scott and then it's only Pelia calls him Scotty but yeah he's oh yeah. He doesn't look like a ton like James Duhon in Where No Man Has Gone Before, but he actually looks more like James Duhon when he's like old and chubby with a mustache. Uh, so <laughs> right, like there's a little bit of softness to yeah. his face. A little, he's got a little bit of a baby face. Yeah, yeah. Um, now he's not as pudgy as skin. No, but his, I mean, his... he he looks like a dude who could grow up to be that dude. When I see them yeah, side yeah. by side, so. so that's a good point. That's fair. And he talked about his ship, the uh, the stellar uh, scan, the star scanning ship, the star diver, but it had the Hubble. K7C Stellar Assessment Array on the Star Diver. So that's, uh, I assume, named after astronomer uh, Edwin Hubble. And the star they were studying is the Shang-Di. And that's like a thing from Chinese folklore or mythology. It's like, that's a word for like a supreme being, but not like, not like the like capital G God, but like, it's like a a, a different entity or something. I don't know, but Shang-Di, it comes okay. comes from uh, Chinese folklore. Um, that's what I got on the, the Gorn eggs, though. Um, you know, not much. They were largely using uh, concepts that the show had, like, built up itself that are, like, you know, things that Strange New Worlds is, has been contributing to itself. So, uh, which is, you know, kind of means sometimes we get, like, less references, less Gorn eggs and stuff. So that in Lower Decks Season 3, you know, there's a lot fewer Gorn eggs because, like, they're using, they're referencing their own history and stuff. So, um, which is uh, kind of a good sign when you see, like, the show, you know, utilizing its own history but i would i would be curious what other people think about this episode we, we talked about it for over an hour and a half um dave and i both shared a, a lot of a, a lot of opinions and uh, i want to know what everyone else is thinking so please uh if you're watching on youtube leave a comment uh, you can uh, reply to my my tweets on twitter you can 
uh, talk to us in the Discord server or the Facebook page. Links to all of that in the descriptions. We're also trying to get active on like some other platforms like uh, Instagram and Blue Sky and Twitter alternatives galore. So hopefully we we uh, start having some interactions in some other places. Um, I need to uh, take the time to look into that. It's, it's going to make posting everything so hard. If I got like t- it's going to make everything take five times longer. It's going to have to go on like five different social media platforms. But I guess that's the uh, yeah. That's the world Elon Thanks. has made for us. Thanks, Elon. By the way, uh, you know since he renamed it. X. Oh, no uh, one says that, that though. That, everyone ignores I know, that. I know. It Twitter. But you know, uh, you know, the other problem is they can't take it because Spock, um, the X. <laughs> That's his thing. Well, someone had like that Twitter handle, like at X, and they just like removed it and just <laughs> fuck yeah, you. Yeah, apparently, like us. it's such it screws up a bunch of things, and there's legal issues and conf- things that are confusing about just using the one word. Ah, I don't know. He's stupid. You know, it's one more dumb. You know, People used to get mad at me for saying he's stupid. People would be like, no, Elon is great. Yeah, things had to catch up with you, Father. You were ahead of the curve by a lot on that one. And um, honestly, it kind of shows you what kind of good PR a billionaire <laughs> can pump out to, to kind of have people that on board. And, you know, and, you know, I will say this. I, I think in Trek circles in particular, the idea of an individual person being like a benevolent person who's trying to push for a Star Trek future, it's a good story, right? Um, I guess that's why they name a, a junior high after him in the in the Star Trek universe. Oops, yeah, let's go back and edit that scene. <laughs> There's just like another Musk who like did something in, in World War Three or something. He like saved a bunch of uh, babies from getting blown up or something. <laughs> yeah. They didn't say Elon Musk Jr. High, they just say Musk Jr. High, so... Right, that was Armando Musk, the actual good person. Yeah, that's like like in Star Trek 09, like I refuse to believe that the Truman is named after uh, Harry Truman because I I don't think he'll be remembered fondly in in the future. Or I don't think any U.S. presidents will be. So anytime there's like Jefferson, Washington, like anything like that, I'm like nope, 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 nope. We don't like any of them in future history. Uh, they all suck. But anyways, uh, but yeah, tell us what you think of this episode, uh, Dave. I think we have some um, responses from. Oh, I can't even remember. Some, like, small, like, forgetful episode um, last time. <laughs> uh, what was it? What was What was 209? Remind me. That uh, would be Subspace Rhapsody. Oh, which one was that? The musical episode. Ah, it didn't ring a bell. <laughs> it's, it's Strangely it's for a musical. <laughs> oh, yes. I forgot that they did that. No one's talked about it. I haven't, did anyone, like, reply to us? I hadn't, I hadn't seen people on the internet have opinions on, on a Star Trek musical episode. <laughs> what, what were they saying? Uh, you know, um, so Father, here here's some responses, including including a little bit pulled from the page, uh, the uh, Twitter page of our uh, musical expert Rachel. Oh yeah, yeah, this is from Rachel's tweet because I forgot to do one, but uh, she yeah. she, did, she she tagged my account in it, so it's our our so, yeah, followers, we... regular followers, still saw it. So, what do we got? Christopher Collins says, I was surprised how good the episode was and how talented the cast was in their singing abilities. Uh, Farouk says it was fab. Monroe Basher says, staying up late listening to Leon sing. It's perfect. Seen lots of musicals with my mom. Much missed. Some people have no heart. (laughs) I assume referring to people who weren't feeling the episode. Uh, And says, this could be the new Rocky Horror. Uh, Let's see. Kirsten says, it was so good. And the Buffy refs, oh my god. And uh, lastly, Dr. Shane Huntington says, it was gold. My wife and I loved it. Bring on the stage show. Which, yeah, it'd be fun to get a Star Trek stage show mounted out there. Um, I'm, I'm for that. Give it uh, one, one more way. You know, uh, there's, there's such a media onslaught of the other Star franchise that, uh, you know, that you can't touch it. It just dominates with all the video games and toys and stuff. So, yeah, mm-hmm. let's, let's get a few unique things out there for Star Trek. 
Yeah, as long as stage musical. As long I like, as long as we uh, have like more consistent quality, because I think uh, most of that, that other star franchise, I think it's it's really not good about half the time. I just saw an article floating around, and I don't know if it was from a kind of slightly dodgy place like Screen Rant or I or if it was IGN or whoever it was, but somebody was. I think kind of doing a general assessment of the franchises and saying that even while while like like Star Wars is kind of like looking seemingly looking backwards with this, with nostalgia for the most part, uh, Star Trek is really is is pushing forward. And um, I wonder if we'll see more articles like yeah. that. We'll we'll see. Because yeah, I think I, th- I, I think like Trek- Star Wars. You know, I, I adored Andor, but but a lot of Star Wars is kind of nostalgic. I mean, I think I think Trek Trek is very nostalgic too. But you know, it tries to do both. It it it, it does a good like Strange New Worlds very nostalgic, but it also has a lot of new. <laughs> it's in the title. Like Picard, Picard was season three it was a big nostalgia fest. But look how it ended. It's like oh, all the old timers retire, and here's like. You know, some new characters going forward. It's about like the the future. Yeah. The next last episode is literally called uh, well, it's called the last generation. But the the idea of the ending of it, it ends with showing us seven and Jack and rapping. It's like the next next generation is you know basically right. the a baton was passed. Yes, yeah. So yeah, I think I think Trek does do a little bit job of pushing forward. Um, but we'll be back next week to discuss uh, all of Strange New Worlds season two in the rear view. And we'll do a Thursday stream too. Uh, I'm in the musical episode. I'm, I'm singing. I'm, I'm, I'm rhyming at least. But uh, the, 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 we'll do a, we'll do a Thursday stream if uh, that gang wants to get together and talk about their thoughts on uh, Strange New World season two. Do a reaction to like the whole season now that we've we've seen it all. And uh, Dave and I will be around uh, Friday, and uh, then uh, we'll have to uh, find something else to talk about uh, after that. But then we'll we'll be switching gears to lower decks and uh, getting ready for the return of. Lord X on September 7th. Uh, but uh, in the meantime, I had a, a lot of fun with Strange New World Season 2. It is crazy how much it, how fast it went by with its bonus episodes and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And it just seemed to go fast. Um, yeah, I had a, I had a, I had a lot of fun. Um, you know, I, th- I, I think it's, it was on the on the same level as, as Season 1 for me. But we'll, we'll get into that type of discussion next week when we talk about the, the entirety of, of Season 2 and how we feel about it. But until then, as always... Live long and prosper, y'all. Listen to the Text Trek podcast through Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or at text-trek.com. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash text-trek. And follow Fathery on Twitter at txtrek. Please support us by liking our videos and subscribing to our channel on YouTube. Thank you and take care.